Turn in your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. We're only going to focus on the first ten verses. And permit me to begin reading in verse 17 of the twelfth chapter. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and the blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who's like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written down, written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance of faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. It makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making the fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast, and it was that was wounded by the, by the sword and yet lived. It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who, were, who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. 
and his number is 666. Again, we've read the whole chapter. I'm only going to work through the first 10 verses. There is enough there. There's more than enough there for our time. Let's pray before we dig in. Lord in heaven, we ask this morning that you may speak to us through your word. May we see discernment here. May we use discernment here to see your wisdom and understand what is going on around us, what John had to deal with in his day, and how we might live in response to the words we see before us. Be with your servant as he attempts humbly to bring some understanding to these words. We pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen. As we have already discovered and experienced that the book of Revelation is a mysterious book. It is a marvelous book. It is, for some people, confusing. I've been referencing several commentaries, just getting some feedback. I look at it, I pray through it, I pray through my text, I, and then I look to compare what other people are saying and It's a little bit frustrating, even for a good scholar, to see how far afield the spectrum goes and what is understood here. Let me remind you, I am taking the point of view as an idealist that most of what we're seeing here, these visions that are given to us in Revelation, are, are nothing more than that. They are visions. They are metaphors. They are to teach us. They are to reveal to us about John's day and John's time, and they are also applicable to our day and our time. What I would like to say this morning about these first ten verses, there's very little application. There's very little, this is what you must do here. But three things I would like to make clear as we see this and as we understand this and as we explain this, we need to take what is here and become very aware of satanic influence because it exists even today. That's the first thing. Second thing, we need to be assured that God remains in control. And the third thing, very simply, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Be aware of satanic influence. Be assured that God remains in control. And stay faithful to his word and to him. For the next few chapters, and we won't, this, this is just kind of a prefatory statement. As next few chapters, we will be reading quite a bit about the activity of Satan. In John's time and in our time. And in the future time. So expect to see some references to visions in John's writing and to Old Testament times. We've seen, we've read this morning the whole chapter, the first ten verses talk about a beast rising out of the sea. and That's verses 1 through 10. That's what we will focus on today. Next week we will look at the beast on the earth. That's 11 through 18. Everybody wonders whenever they talk about Revelation or read anything about Revelation or discuss Revelation, there's one term that is used quite often. 
when talking about Revelation and particularly the end times. What about the Antichrist? Don't be stunned when I tell you that the word Antichrist does not appear in the book of Revelation. John uses it in his epistles several times, but he doesn't use it in Revelation. Doesn't mean that he doesn't exist or won't exist or won't appear. I'm not saying that. We just want, I'm setting that aside just for the sake of clarity. What we have in Revelation is a very clear demonstration or a very clear illustration of a counterfeit trinity evident in the existence of Satan. Chapters 12 and 13 talk about a dragon, a beast, well two beasts really, a dragon, the first beast, and a false prophet we will talk about next week. All are Satan, a counterfeit trinity. They are not omnipotent as God is. They are not omniscient as God is. They are not omnipowerful or omnipotent. I said said that already. Omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. They are not everywhere at all times as God is. But we're seeing in an exercise of authority kind of a demonstration of Satan being manifested in different ways. He is not three in one. But through these visions, we can understand how he might be perceived in the world around us. Through these visions, John describes the activity of Satan expressed through different hideous creatures, but they all represent the devil. Or they are all representations of the devil. I'm going to ask you to pay attention just for a moment. Should we expect to literally see manifestations of the devil as John describes them? Are we going to see a great beast coming up out of the sea? No. Don't shut me off. I'm not. I'll, I'll explain in just a moment. I'm not denying scripture. But I want you to understand what John is telling us and what the Bible is teaching us. We will get there in just a few moments. Allow me to give you a bit of a glossary defining some of the terms that are in this text. First off, we have the dragon. We talked about him last week and and even before that. Verse 17 of chapter 12, the dragon became furious with the woman. This is the one who tried to do away with the newborn Christ child, but he was successful in his ministry, ascended into heaven, and is seated there in glory. So, according to Revelation 12, he then turned his attention to persecuting the believers left here on earth. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off, the woman being the church, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Next, we need to understand what it means here, the sea. We keep thinking of every time you 
I used to think this too, but every time we talk about the sea, we see this big, vast view of blue water and beaches, very beautiful. That's not what he's meaning. He's using this as a metaphor. He's using this to describe something that scripture teaches quite a bit. You can go to the book of Job. You can go to several places in the book of Psalms. You can go to the book of Isaiah. Don't have a lot of time for that this morning. But everywhere scripture talks about the seas, while they are created by God, they are very often and most often perceived as a vast source of chaos. In Old Testament times, all the storms came off of the sea. Very frightening. Very risky to travel the seas. Pagans were very superstitious about the seas. So when Old Testament and New Testament writers talk about the sea, they talk about, they're they're making a reference, a metaphorical reference to chaos and fear and storm and darkness. And Satan was standing on the shore of the sea. He is the source of all darkness. Jeremiah 5.22 is just one reference out of many. Do you not fear me, the Lord says, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. God is reminding us, as he reminded them, that he is in control of the sea. In verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1, it begins by saying, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. This beast is an iteration or a display of Satan again coming up out of the sea. Well, all right, let me clarify sea again. We're still in our glossary phase, our understanding of the vocabulary of what is here. Metaphorically, when he's talking about the sea, he is talking about the world population in rebellion against God. I'm sure most of us, have, some of us may have even attended. We've gone to Times Square during New Year's celebration. And you've seen on television high video of masses of people everywhere down all the streets as though they were a sea of movement, of people pressed together. That's the kind of picture John is describing here in Revelation. When he's talking about the sea in Revelation, he is always talking about the population of the world in rebellion against him, the nations of the world in rebellion against God. 
That's why later on when God is describing the new heaven and the new earth and he says there is, there will be no more sea, that's the sea he is talking about. Rebellious nations, masses of people who are lost and refusing to believe. All of that chaos will be done away with. And I know I've already been asked, you know, it's sad to read that, knowing that in the new heaven and the new earth, there won't be any beaches. I just love going to the beach. Well, you'll get to go to the beach again. Bless your heart. I will too. I enjoy going too. That's not what it means. It means it's talking about, it's using it as a metaphor of the lost, the masses of people in rebellions against God. They're be cast into judgment. But it says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. This beast, again, is a picture of Satan. His influence is coming out of the rebellion of the nations, out of the rebellion of the sea, out of the chaos that is there. These are very broad pictures. These are very powerful illustrations about his influence. And we've seen already in our understanding of history, in our study of history, how satanic forces have been used in nations under communist domain, under unbelieving atheistic dominions, under nations and dictators who were bent on world domination. Millions of people have died. And there was nothing holy about that. But all of that is going to be put to an end. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its heads, on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. Okay, this looks odd. Let's walk through this a moment. Seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns. It's hard to picture this in our imagination, but we need to understand that three of those heads have two horns and two crowns. Again, indicating a picture of a, with, within this dragon, the authority of this dragon is mimicking or copying or counterfeiting an artificial trinity. Satan, the dragon, and the, Satan, the beast, and the false prophet, or the antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet, they are all antichrist. We're not going to be able to divide them out and see them on the news when we turn on CNN. Not that way. Verse 2, the beast that I saw was like a leopard and its feet were like a, bear, like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. John again is connecting the vision, his vision with those of the prophet Daniel. When Daniel foresaw 600 years earlier than John, when Daniel foresaw what was to come to pass, John borrows from that 
and reaffirms this shall come to pass. We're going to see more of this later on when we get to Revelation 17. But in Daniel 7, beginning at verse 2, allow me to read Daniel's, Daniel's words. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision, this is Daniel's dream. He's not interpreting a dream for someone else. This is something God gave to Daniel. I saw in my dream and my, my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up a great sea. We've already read in Revelation an angel that's going to release winds, four winds. And we've already talked about a great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked out or plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground to make and made to stand on its two feet like a man. And the mind of the man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And, its, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominions were give, was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Sounds similar to the kind of visions John is already giving us in Revelation. I don't have time to go into this this morning. If you want to know more about it, join us on Sunday evenings as we study the book of Daniel. Hint, 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 hint. But Daniel's message and his visions focused on revealing a succession of political forces, political nations. Daniel was delivering a message from the Lord in order that the faithful in Israel would know and understand and be assured. No matter what you see going on in this world, God is saying, I am in control. I have put my hand upon this as my providential care and orchestrated every bit of it. That's what God is saying. He gives messages like this to his prophets like Daniel and John so that we may understand and not be surprised or not be shocked or not be terrified. The Lord was still in control. In Daniel's vision, the first nation that was described was Babylon. That was the winged lion. The second nation that was described was the nation that defeated Babylon, the Medes and the Persians. The bear, one shoulder higher than the other. The Medes and the Persians were a dual nation. The leopard, Greece, Alexander the Great came in behind them and defeated them. And this beast that is described, seven heads and ten horns, just like Revelation is Rome. What nation was in power when John was on Patmos? Rome. 
John is saying, this is what was foretold. This is what has happened. This is what is happening now. In order that the people in that early church could know and understand that God is in control. This was foretold. This was meant to come to pass. It also shows us that Satan was at work through political powers or political forces. He said in verse 2 of chapter 13, The beast I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. It's not exactly word for word, but it's close. It's kind of amalgamation of the nations that came before Rome all rolled up into one influence that is at work and in play during John's lifetime. <clears throat> Revelation 13.3, one of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. One of the heads wounded. It just goes to another clue that it identifies who this beast truly is. This is Satan. This is a manifestation of him. We go back to Genesis 3.15. Lord, after the Adam and Eve fail, failed, after they fell from grace, after they fell in their sin, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He... The seed of the woman shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. On the cross, Christ crushed, bruised, wounded the serpent's head. And we can rejoice to know that. He was the victor. He put Satan under his foot. But John tells us he is still active. How can that be? Verse 12, a little bit further down, the second beast is described, the one who exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. For some reason, under God's providence, we see Satan still active, though defeated, though his wound has been healed, he will not last much longer. Satan is the first beast and he is the second beast. John is just describing Satan in two different ways as beasts. But they, but the two are the same being. It's just Satan at work in different ways. Moving back up to verse 4. And they, being the nations, worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opens his mouth, opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. 
Now, in John's time, Rome was the nation in power. Rome was a polytheistic nation. That means they worshipped many gods. They had many idols. You couldn't walk, you almost couldn't walk down a street and not sneeze without sneezing on some idol somewhere on a corner or in a makeshift temple. Roman government often insisted that the citizens, that even the citizens worship the Caesar as a god. They had to pay tribute and honor him as Lord and God. It was a very idolatrous, very blasphemous name. A very blasphemous nation. And when Christians refused to bow to the demands of Rome, they were often executed or imprisoned. You do know why Christians were very often thrown to the lions, as it were, as entertainment? People used to watch in the, Ro in the Roman arenas for entertainment, the death of a lot of people, a lot of so-called prisoners, Christians who were taken captive and fed to the beasts. And the Romans, as they watched, would lay bets on who would live the longest. In verse 7, it says that this beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship it and everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slain if anyone has an ear let him hear if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity he goes if anyone is to be slain with a sword with a sword he must be slain here is a call for the endurance of the faith of the saints. Kind of sobering words to know what was going on then. John was telling them, there's no immediate deliverance for your suffering. He's telling them, endure. Press on. Never doubt. Keep believing. We've already talked again back in Revelation chapter 5 about the saints underneath the throne of God being kept safe and secure in heaven. Praying to God for vengeance and God said rest a little longer until the last of your number is made. And John is telling them they're still being martyrs giving their lives for the witness of Christ. And all of this is under the cloak in the robes of political authority, national interest. Hint, hint. Any nation that denies the one true God is a nation under the influence of Satan. 
There is no neutral ground. Any nation, any nation that denies the one true God is a nation under the influence of Satan. As it was in Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, any nation that denies the one true God is a nation under the influence of Satan. Even if it is our very own. Now again, I said at the outset, there is no application as far as, okay, brothers and sisters, when you leave here today, I want you to start doing this to be faithful to the Lord. Be aware of satanic influence around you. It's going to take some wisdom. It's going to take some discernment. You're going to have to be skeptical about a lot of things you hear. Do not participate as far as you possibly can. Do not participate in the ways of this world. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I was I was sharing with the elders this morning before prayer that I don't listen to the established news media. I try and find my news in conservative areas on the internet. But even some of those I'm very skeptical about because I know that people who are conservatives may not always be honest too. So I'm trying to use a little bit of discernment about some of the things I hear and some of the things I read. I don't know, I honestly don't know who to believe. But seeing it all, whether it's a liberal viewpoint or a conservative viewpoint, I have to understand it's going to take discernment to know what's going on for real. Because Satan is at work. It takes wisdom, it takes discernment, and you need to be a little skeptical about what you hear. Do not participate with the influence in this world. And be assured that God remains in control as all of this around us escalates. We're going to see his hand at work more and more. And then finally, I guess this is the only thing that you can stay faithful. Stay faithful. All of these wonderful, wonderful and mysterious visions and interpretations that we're seeing in Revelation 4 and since then were all prefaced by letters to the first seven churches in Revelation. And we have to be reminded about why they were why they were called out, why they were addressed individually, as though it were personal letters to each congregation. And we have to hold ourselves applicable to that or accountable to that as well. To the church at Ephesus, the Lord has said, You have forsaken your first love. Repent and return. What about us? Have we forsaken our first love? 
taking them a little bit out of, out of order? Or are we more like Laodicea? Lukewarm in their faith. They were neither hot nor cold. God said, they upset his stomach, putting it politely. I will spew you out of my mouth. No refreshment in your love. No delight in your care. Are you lukewarm? God calls us to repent, remember, and recover. The church at Smyrna was commissioned or was, was encouraged for their faithfulness and commended for their endurance and persecution. We in America may have to suffer some of that as well. We already see areas around the world where Christians are suffering even now. The Church of Pergamon called again to repentance. Thyatira rebuked for putting up with tolerating apostasy and false prophets. Sardis, the church of Sardis had just gone to sleep. Apathy and lethargy, they just didn't care. Philadelphia was commended for enduring and admonished to endure to the end. When we read these things in the book of Revelation and we remember how the, how the churches were called to repentance and faithfulness, we need to hold ourselves accountable to the same kind of thing. That's why Revelation is kind of difficult. It calls us to accountability. It calls us to boldness. It calls us to stand when everything else around us is falling down. It calls us to be willing to go into the fire and trust the Lord to deliver us. Be aware of the satanic influence around us. Do not participate. Be assured that God remains in control. And always stay faithful. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for this day and for this morning and for your words from Scripture. Help us as your children to be faithful to you. Give us courage and strength as we follow our Lord and Savior. Let us pray for those who suffer far greater than we do. Let us do all we can to enhance and encourage and help your church, your people, our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue to